Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Blitz. We're back in the arena of cinematic debates. It's Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Nice to have you back. I'm Dave Brooks. I'm Joel Hoover, and that was a very flowery way to welcome us to this latest episode of the podcast, Dave. Stunt stunt performers are back because no Rick, no Nick. They said they've got maybe coronavirus. I think they're. Oh boy! I think they actually want another round of coronas, and then they'll be right in. I think that's what they meant to say. With Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah. More than likely. Yeah. More on him later. Yeah. We're sponsored, of course, by the Bemidji Theater. Find them just outside of town on Highway 2 between Bemidji and Wilton. Uh, by the way, don't forget, two on Tuesdays, $5 tickets for all 2D showings. Discounts at the snack bar, all kinds of things. Every Tuesday, all tickets, all day, $5. Don't forget, student nights on Thursdays. All students, high school, college, of any age, including faculty. You bring in a valid student ID or faculty ID. And you getting in for $6 on student night Thursdays. Do keep in mind, too, if you go on Tuesdays, it gets a little packed sometimes. Yeah, especially depending on what movies are out. Get there early. Make sure you can get yourself into whatever particular showing that you want to go to. It's not one of those nights where you can just kind of run in at the last minute and you might get in. Depending on what movies are in. That $5 movie night on Tuesday, you you might want to get there a little bit early to make sure that you get a seat. It's early March, so maybe now you get a chance, but when summer box office season comes, which, funny to say in early March, is coming up soon, uh, that might be another story. Yes, a much different story. So So we're in kind of a quieter, maybe somewhat doldrummy period in in the movie slate, although... Hey, you called it. Invisible Man got very good reviews. Very, very good reviews. Number one of the box office, and I, I haven't seen it yet, but I really do want to. I know you're you're kind of planning on it because you had liked the concept and the idea of it, and apparently it's been well executed too. Well, and one of the other controversies that goes on with some of the movies is the whole get woke go broke theory, and that if you're preaching, you know, pro gal down with the guys, things don't work out so well. Whether it's you know the Ghostbusters remake or other things. This one apparently isn't all that preachy about it. It is just, hey, this is an interesting concept. Let's do this. And it's working. So that's got very clear, obvious connections to the Me Too movement. And it's doing great. And it's getting great reviews across the boards, gender irrelevant. It's just a good movie. But they're not, it sounds like, hitting you over the head yeah, with some of yeah. those themes. That those themes are intertwined within the story, but it's not, we're going to bash you over the head with this. Yeah. Funny enough, I just sat on the couch last night with my wife and we watched Thelma and Louise, which kind of does do that. But it was done in such, it was done in a different time. It was done so much better. Uh, and a really good, it's a great movie. And even, even I think it's a good movie. I've seen that movie probably for the fifth time last night. It's a good movie. So yeah, good times. Okay. Let's talk about other goodies that are going on. Speaking, maybe not goodies, but, um, yeah, now that we got the, the the fears of the coronavirus coming through and its impact on the movies. Well, certainly an impact on the global box office too, with, yeah. especially with 
where it's been rooted from, which has been China in, in particular, where the most cases have been, um, with with all that's going on there of of just trying to eradicate this, it's certainly going to have an impact on people going to the movies and being in public places. And what is that kind of fear going to do for other countries, for the global sports scene, for the the global movie scene as well, especially if it comes here to the United States in a pretty severe way? What happens then when it comes to going to the theater? Yeah. You know how how are things going to be impacted? Well, based on what's been going on in China, forget about trying to go. They just everything is shut down, including theaters, including the entire town. Nobody's leaving your house uh, for however many weeks until this thing passes. So you don't have that option. So it, it's interesting. And even on the production side, they have begun filming the new Mission Impossible movie in Italy, and they shut it down. Because of this, Italy's getting a bit of a spike, and so they said, we're just we're going to wait. So they've got however many scenes shot for the new Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise has managed not to hurt himself yet. And uh, so they're going to just hold off and let this corona thing figure itself out, and they'll come back around to it when things have settled down. But I'm sure that is just the first of probably several showings. It's kind of a wait-and-see period right now, isn't it, just of what is the extent to which this is going to be severe how difficult is it going to be to film movies how difficult is it going to be to go and see them with with dealing with the virus and everything so a lot still in flux on that and a lot of unknowns as far as just how how severe this is going to be and by the way even though the coronavirus has now leaked its way into a Bemidji Minnesota based podcast it's something to be concerned about. It's not something to <laughs> outright panic about. It's not like that. But it's not like the flu, apparently. Once you get it and you're quarantined and you finally make your way through it, and that's the majority, I mean, you're going to get a 2% fatality rate. Even if you get it, your odds are highly in your favor. You're going to be just fine. But unlike the flu, you can get this again, is what the early reports are. People that have had it and gotten through it get it a second time. So, well, how do you beat this thing? Well, it might be quarantines and vaccines, but vaccines are going to be at least a year away. Could be interesting. What was interesting before this podcast, Dave, is that you and I were both talking about outbreak-based movies. The that movie kind outbreak, of yeah. Make us think a little bit. Yeah, well, the movie outbreak was one that you you were thinking about. I was thinking about Contagion a little bit. You think about some of those movies and how they do depict a lot of what does happen when an outbreak like this does take place. You know, sometimes it's a little bit Hollywood stylized that you get with how severe it is or but but some of the themes can be very, very true. Like especially in Contagion, it it, it seemed like it was really a um a tale of of what what could really happen and some of the different elements of an epidemic outbreak that really do exist and yet Put, were put in a very extreme scenario within that movie, like a worst-case kind of scenario. Well, you know, Ebola is one thing. If you get Ebola, odds are pretty good you're not going to make it. You know, Some people do, but they've got effects the rest of their lives. I think a movie like an Ebola movie like The Hot Zone or Outbreak, those are good movies. If they were going to make a, a contagion movie about SARS or flu virus or whatever, it'd be a pretty lame movie. You know, there's people all in quarantine. <laughs> uh, hmm. That'd pretty much be it, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's a much more sexy topic to have Ebola. You know, you're going to blow up from the inside, pretty much, Oof. like Alien. You know, but this this is not something to not be thinking about. Just wash your hands, do a lot of hygiene, and try to fight it off like you would the flu. And um, 
don't be buying up masks and walking around looking like Michael Jackson or a surgeon unless you are a medical professional or you have it. Then you're not supposed to be wearing that stuff. So let's let's keep it down to reality, people. Good reminders. Yes, it's not Ebola. <laughs> no, it's no, it's not. Thankfully, um, although it's its own difficult thing to it's, deal with. It's but. it's a lot like the flu. You know, it's something that you're not. You know, if somebody near you clearly is coming down with the flu, you probably don't want to be around them. Obvious reasons. You know, when my wife gets the flu and I don't, we're kind of breaking up for a couple of days. You be upstairs, I'll be downstairs, I'll see you in a couple of days once I'm hopefully past it. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of how it is. You know, this one, unfortunately, has got a period where it could be two weeks where you have it and don't know it, and you're spreading it around, and they say mm-hmm. that the contagion level is what's called a three, which means for everyone that gets it, you're likely to infect three more, okay. which is how it spreads. But the you know fatality rate is like two percent. You know, granted, think about you know your hometown coming down with it, where pretty much everybody does, and two percent don't make it. That's still not great, but that's also kind of like the flu, you know. And it seems to be unlike the flu of 1918, which wiped out all the kids. This is not that. Apparently, the kids, unless they're really really young, don't seem to have a problem with this, unless you've got some sort of compromised immune system or you're elderly. So if you're 70 or older, could be another story. Okay. So I'm looking out for Harrison Ford here. Speaking of Harrison Ford, we might talk about him a little bit today on our episode. Um, we are getting into what might be a tough topic for some people to to deal with, but it might also get the, the gears turning a little bit as far as, now what can I think of when it comes to this? And it's things that we are done with or that we think need to be done it, it's time to say goodbye to time to move on right to this concept to this kind of movie to this person. this series maybe to this person doing that particular kind of movie that they like to do things like that that we have come up with for today's episode it may be a little bit difficult to hear with some of these but it may Very be kind opinion of, based. Yes, but it may be necessary in some of these cases. And in some cases, uh, there may be spoilers that come up depending on what the topic is. So be aware if there's a movie coming up that you have not yet seen, there might be a spoiler for it. So consider yourself warned. Now, Dave, you are hemming and hawing about one in particular that you might talk about, you might not. We'll we'll save that for later. We'll save but. it for last if we decide to rip that Band-Aid off. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm still torn about it. Do you want me to kick off? Do you want to go sure. first? All right. I've got a couple. What of- do what do we need to leave in the dust in the rearview mirror? Well, I'm going to start with something that we have dabbled in a little bit here on this show. Um, we've certainly talked about this production studio and the great work that they've done. And they have done tremendous work. Their tremendous work has kind of become fine work over the last few years. I'm sure you could take some guesses on where I'm where, where I'm going with it. Yeah, but I think I think it's at the point now where Disney Pixar needs to have something of an epiphany. And I'm going to say that they need to shut down doing sequels and stop doing sequels because think about where we were 10 years ago with Pixar, Dave. They had just come about with Toy Story 3, um, or they, they were getting into doing Toy Story 3 in 2010, um, and they they were hitting a real pinnacle. I mean, when you look at the work that they did back in the late 2000s, they were hitting a, a really, really high note of the work that they had done and the stories and the creativity that they had come up with with those stories. 
I am willing to venture to say that the last decade, and I don't think a lot of people would complain about this, the last decade has not been quite to the same extremely high bar that Pixar had been at previously. They came up with some some new stories that were pretty good, but that didn't resonate in really the, the deep and profound way that some of their movies in the late 2000s did, or even earlier in the 2000s with something like Finding Nemo, or um, ones like Up or Wally that were just universally praised with the work they had done. Toy Story, of course, we I mean, those those first three movies. But now they've gotten sequel happy a little bit. With, remake happy. And remake happy a little bit. You know, they, they go and do Finding Dory. They go and they do The Incredibles 2. How many Cars movies are there now? 12? Right. The Cars movies, with the way that they have recycled that that story over and over again as being a moneymaker. That, that's what it is. It, it's a moneymaker. That series has served to do merchandising for them. And then you get into Toy Story 4, which I didn't think was necessary at all. The The story had reached its conclusion. I still have not watched Toy Story 4. I heard it got very good reviews. It was a good movie. And, and it did well. But at the same time, I, I went, you are compromising the story here a little bit. By, by going on and deciding to try to stretch this out. So I I would just say I want to see Pixar say we are done with the easy way out here of let's just come up with some new sequels. And what can you do, what can they do in the writing room to get back to some of the glory days that they experienced a decade, a decade and a half ago with some of the concepts they were creating. That's kind of like when Family Guy throws it to a Conway Twitty concert. You know, just write a joke. You know, come up with a story. Come up with something that's original uh, and do that. You know, Disney's been able to do that. Maybe it's just a straight-up money grab. We know people will want to see this movie because they saw parts one through seven. Let's do it part eight. We need to cover the cost of this Disney park. We need to cover the cost of... Um, you know, Lucasfilm purchase. You know, we need we need to make some money. We'll get original and we don't need the money anymore, but that's the problem with the corporation running things, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. Funny enough, I that was kind of one of mine was know when to leave the property alone. You know, let's not do a part twelve. When oh, didn't we say it with eleven? Wasn't that enough? Do we need another Beetlejuice? Didn't we say all we needed to with the first one? Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. Come on. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't love to see Michael Keaton back as Beetlejuice? That'd be great. But let's not do it just for that. If we have a reason to do it other than, it'd be fun, then don't do it. Yeah, so that was the the one that primarily came to my mind, or one of the primary ones that came to my mind. There was one that was a lot more prominent, but yeah, I just, I want to see Pixar get back to being more creative with what they come up with. Like, really get in the writing room, come up with some some new stuff. I know they've got Onward, which is which is either out original, or coming out here shortly. Coming out this weekend. And it's original. Um, but they, I, I want to see them really get back to some of the thinking and the planning that, that went into creating some really profound stories rather than some money grabs that it seems like they have gone for or some merchandise grabs that they have gone for lately. I raise my glass and I second that motion in Thank you. all entirety. I'm with you most 100%. Appreciate it. Cheers. Uh, now I got pulp in my orange juice, so yes. I'm not going to take a sip just yet and then try to speak. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, Ugh. love the pulp, but you need to have a moment. Yes. All right. Uh, here, uh, that was one I was going to bring up, but that's I'll go along with that. So here's the next one: superhero movies with involvement by Zack Snyder. Time to let it go. Ugh. 
Zach has got a, a track record that is not great. Now, it's not saying every movie he's ever done is not good. He's got some great movies out there, but a lot of them tend to be style with no substance, frosting with no cake, dessert with no dinner. You know, these are people, if you've learned anything from, let's just stick with the DC universe, which is where he's been involved. Look at the Dark Knight trilogy. I know you've got a high fondness for the Dark Knight trilogy. Yes, the Nolan one. That's the one. Uh, I mean, you've got some great visuals there, but guess what? Even if those visuals just aren't there, there's still a great story. There's great characters. There's great development. There's a great arc. It's based to some degree in reality. You know what else there is? There's a beginning and an end to that story. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. Yeah. Go look at, I think the only example of something that really kind of worked out for DC post-Dark Knight universe was Wonder Woman. And we'll see if she can maintain it with the new one coming out this year. But, you know, you got Batman versus Superman. The ultimate team-up or battle, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Justice League. Wow! This is what it's building. Uh, Aquaman you know, was okay, too. Yeah, that was impressive, especially for a side character. But why is that the case? You know, Superman should almost, if it's done right be licensed to print its own money. But at the same time, you had involvement by Christopher Nolan and his team developing the on the outskirts the, the beginnings of what became Man of Steel. But Zack Snyder ran that show. But there was Nolan involvement. It wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't a great movie. You know, it's not when I'm flipping channels it's gonna be the remote drop. In this day of streaming, what's a remote drop, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's um something you know, these should be automatic do them right, and you're going to do just fine. But then again, the last two Christopher Reeve versions didn't do very well. They were kind of eh, but that was the people that did them. Zack Snyder, I think, has gotten all the chances he should get when it comes to this kind of thing. If you want to do style and substance, fine. Go off and do your own thing. But this needs to be left alone. If you if some you know executive still is my buddy, I'm going to give him another chance. No, you're going to lose money, you're going to lose your butt, you're going to lose your job. It's funny that you bring that up, Dave, because Zack Snyder has gone relatively quiet since the his last venture into doing DC related well, projects. There's there's an unfortunate undercurrent here in that, you know, with Justice League, he didn't finish the movie right because there was a family tragedy and, I, and, I, and all due respect to that. And uh, you had to have Joss Whedon step in to kind of finish things. But in a lot of ways, uh, it's very much Zack Snyder's movie. I'm sure Whedon's got fingerprints, obviously, on it and maybe took the tiller a little bit. And, of course, there's a fan push to get the Snyder cut of Justice League. But I don't think it really matters. I really don't. I don't think it's like the Richard Donner version of Superman 2, which is its own thing. Go Google that. That's another story. But that finally got to see the light of day. And which is better? Well, I guess it depends. Uh, if the Snyder version of Justice League does come around, maybe it'll be different. But but it was unfinished, though, wasn't it? It was unfinished. Even Zack Snyder recently has printed uh, his own contest. If we ever do reshoots for this movie, because I don't have all the parts shot, because I had to leave the project before it got done, it's not going to happen like that. If anything, it'll be unfinished, but it'll be a, a special DVD extra or something, something, you know. Reshoots? Yeah. Now it's been a couple of years since that movie came hey, out. Hey, Superman two finally got its own call it re release. What thirty years after they did it? So never say never. You know things like that can happen. Good grief! But it's it's unfinished. You know, and so it it just kind of gives you a glimpse of what could have been. Not to say that Zack Snyder's vision would have been necessarily better. Uh, it just it just it just would be different. 
is all you can say. It doesn't be, I think because Justice League was a movie that a lot of people went to see, but then they realized how bad it was. Well, the original version must be better. Not necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily. Sometimes maybe, but not necessarily. So he's had his time. He clearly does not have his finger on the pulse for this. Um, if anything, I'd love to see Matthew Vaughn get into get into that. Clearly, he's done well with uh, the Kingsmen, uh, with Kick-Ass. He clearly would know how to do a good version of this. Well, you're looking at that especially from the stylized point of view, right? Because Not even stylized, but he's got he's got Style substance. combined with substance. Yes. That's the important thing, yes. and that's where Zack Snyder has fallen short, yeah. is not being able to combine those two things, where it's all about the visual and not about what's actually going on within the story and within the development. Or retconning. How is it possible that this person can do this thing when it's never happened before and it's never been hinted? People want some degree of canon that is, you know, involving a history that you have to stick to. You know, this is what happened the first time, so this is has to have a linear connection to what's going on this time. And if it doesn't, and all of a sudden it's like that never happened, well, wait a minute. Now you start in, in, you know, insulting the fans. And unfortunately, if you get a franchise that goes on long enough, whether it's different incarnations, you know, how many James Bonds have there been, that kind of thing, it doesn't matter. You, know, you still have to have A, B, and C in place or something that's going to be aligned with that. You can't just all of a sudden have Superman is not from Krypton, he's from Saturn. Wait, what? No, he's not. He's from Krypton. Krypton's no, he can fly to Saturn all the time. He can see his friends and his family. No, no, no. His planet blew up. That's that's how it works. You know, you can't change it too far from your source material. And I'm probably leaking too far to another one of mine. But right, um, that's uh, yeah. Zack Snyder's had his time. Zack Snyder, talented guy, but he needs to go in another direction and get away from that style and substance. Yes, but maybe something set on Earth. Maybe something like a Fast and the Furious or something. I could see him doing maybe something good with that, perhaps. But it's time for him to let that go. All right. Interesting that you bring up Fast and Furious. We'll Guess get, where you're going. We'll get into that later. Uh, right now, though, I want to talk about something different. Um, after the, this past run of the Oscars um, and this last, just seeing the way that everything went down, I think of The Irishman. With with this, and then that makes me think of Roma, which came before it, and I'm I'm done with, and I want what I want to see changed is this almost feels like a fix it episode a little bit the more I think about it, but in a weird way, what I want to see, what I'm done with is these movies getting into the Oscar picture that are not getting a, an extended wide release, where if you're going to put them put them on Netflix. Great. Okay. That's that's fine. I want to see them get a wide release for a month to a month and a half or thereabout before they go on to Netflix. And that's kind of the controversy is how do you define wide release? Because the Irishman right. did go into theaters about the time it opened, but it didn't go everywhere. Right. And it was very it was very brief and it was very limited and it was the same thing with Roma. It was a one day kind of thing and I I think it would behoove those movies as well as the viewing public for them to get an ext- an extended wide release for a little bit. And I think then had that been the case, maybe the Irishman would have done a little bit better during awards season. Uh. And because I think there would have been more of an appreciation for Yes, you you actually are on the big screen. We we acknowledge that and we now 
On on the other hand, however, I do think that like where it came up short in award season was because other movies were deserving. Like I think yeah. in in many cases other movies were deserving. But I think maybe some of the some of the talk and the buzz and the chatter would have been a little bit different regarding the movie had it been getting more of a wide release spread prior to when it actually went on to Netflix and everything. I think for these Netflix movies, I think that's going to be an important distinction in the near future, especially for some of the some of the really high-end properties that you know are going to be big time, that you know could be very successful. I think a lot of people knew when Roma came out that it was going to be an awards contender. Put it on the big screen then for a while. People a year in advance, almost a year in advance, knew Scorsese, The Irishman, that cast, that's going to do extremely well. That's going to be in the awards hunt. If you know this ahead of time, if the if the writing's on the wall a little bit with these, then put them on the big screen. I would rather that they get some big screen run in a place where movies like that deserve to be rather than being limited and then you put it out there on Netflix why not try to find more of a best of both worlds kind of scenario where you are getting it on the screen for a couple of weeks and then you're also lacing in Netflix as well. Yeah. You know, a couple of things. I, I agree. I think that movie would have done well on the big screen. But as far as hurting it with the awards, someone made a good joke, I think, at the Oscars. It was like, hey, I just, I, Martin, I enjoyed watching the first season of this Irishman, you know, because it's a three and a half hour movie. It Come is. On. Yeah. I think uh, the movie didn't do itself any favors because it just didn't have any boundaries at all. It just was whatever Martin wanted to do, and I think Netflix was so excited to have Scorsese doing a movie with De Niro, with Pacino, with with everybody. And uh, A long movie has got to have pacing. A long movie can work, but it's got to have pacing. And this one doesn't. I could think you would easily chop off an hour of this movie you might lose some good moments, sure, but you're not going to lose the narrative and you're going to gain the pacing. Judd Apatow could learn from that. These two-and-a-half-hour comedies he does should not be any oh, longer than 90 minutes. Gosh. So the, you lose something valuable with that. I think there's a reason why The Irishman had some great acting, but as a movie, it just it needs to – pacing is a big part of what makes a movie work, and it just doesn't when you don't have it. But as far as getting things into uh, uh, theaters to get uh, awards – the voting, the voting people who are actors and directors and producers, they're people that are in the industry. They have what are called screeners, and right now they're DVDs. They will send them to you. So if Martin Scorsese, let's say, is going to vote on something, rather than go to the theater and see 12 different movies to decide how he's going to vote, they just have the screeners sent to his house, and he'll watch them at home and then vote based off that. So I don't think that makes any difference at all, unless the public was voting. But I think if you've got something good to see, get it out there. And other things, like, I would love to see Band of Brothers on the big screen, but that's not really a movie, it's a miniseries. So it's a lot like uh, The Irishman. And, but that's 10 hours, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah. That'd be, that'd be, how would you make that happen? I don't know. But maybe you do, I don't know, three in a row or something, I don't know. But that would go so well on the big screen if you could figure out a way around the logistics to make it work. The great thing about things like Netflix and Amazon Prime and these streaming service productions are that they are giving life to some of these movie concepts that maybe aren't making it through to the um, the mainstream movie production companies. Although I think that's changing where I think they are actually 
starting to get into the bidding for some of these and starting to get into the mix for some of these. It's not just that production companies are shutting these down. With some of the bigger properties, they're bidding and they're winning them in some cases and getting them for their service. So I think with that in mind, it would be at their best interest then to put that onto the big screen in addition to onto the small screen. Yeah, I I agree. I think if you can get a good piece of whatever and get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible and in the best way possible, which sometimes is the big screen, um, I'm a fan of that. I'm just I, I'm done with it only being limited though. Yeah. Limited plus then on on the smaller screen of of your home. Well, that's that's something just not to open up another can of worms, but that's something we're going to get into now because now it used to be Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu. That was it. Well, now it's expanding and it's expanding even more. And if you think we've expanded to the point, no, no, there's a lot more coming. Disney Plus is just the most recent. There's a whole lot more coming. Disney yeah. and Paramount Viacom is coming up. Uh, all the networks have their own thing, and there's so much exclusivity now. That if you want to watch a particular show or movie, you better have X and so and so streaming service, and that's it. But I don't want to have to subscribe to Hulu or whatever because I want to watch this one show, and that's the only place it's shown, or maybe ever will be shown. I don't want that. I want you know why can't they loan that to Netflix and a percentage of whatever you're gonna every time you watch that Netflix plays Hulu you know, X amount of dollars in a in a royalty or whatever. It's no different than when a recording artist, could you imagine if the Beatles were only played on a certain group of stations? Oh, Exclusivity. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Let's get yeah. them on every radio, everywhere. Get them on every speaker. And same thing with the shows. You pay a royalty when it happens. Anyway, so yeah. Anyway, that. yeah. That. So another one that we kind of touched base on here uh, a little bit, Straying too far from your source material. So, how many times has this happened where you've got a show that is an adaption of a book or an adaption of a musical or a play or it's a reboot of another movie? Sometimes you look at a movie and it is very different from the original, but there's a lot from the original that is intact. Um, For example, you can almost call it a reconceptualization. We're going to keep the same idea the same tone, but the characters are going to go in maybe some different directions, but not so far from the source material. You know That shows that you understand what the original is and you're trying to follow it in that spirit. But if I release a show called Star Trek, but it's much more like Battlestar Galactica and it doesn't really resemble the Star Trek that comes before. That's not well, going to go over It's very all well. set in space. There's aliens. That's the same thing. No, it's not. You know, you've got issues now with Star Trek where... Not that I have a problem with swearing at all. I'm, clearly, I don't. And if I was allowed to, I'd drop a bomb on the podcast. But we can't do that. But I heard a few Effenheimers in the new Star Trek Picard. I'm like, wait, what? That woke me up. Now, some of the funniest lines I've ever heard in Star Trek is when somebody will drop a bad word. But never gone to that extreme. And you've got the overall message is that the future is going to be better. It doesn't look like it really is anymore, and that's been a big component of Star Trek, you know, and so some elements of what have made Star Trek good are being left by the wayside so that we can have more. Well, you need conflict. You need to have drama. I agree. Are you telling me that there's been no conflict and no drama in Star Trek for 50 plus years and all of a sudden now, no, 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 no. We're talking about a type of, of conflict. You know, DS9 was very much a Star Trek show. But there was also a lot of conflict. So there was a little bit of a stray, but it didn't stray so far. Now you're watching other things that 
in my opinion, are straying way too far from the source material. Was Star Trek what you had in mind when you came up with this particular thing? Or were there other examples? Oh, there's too? other examples. It's just I didn't think of Star Trek until probably half a minute before I said it. Oh, wow. So okay. this is kind of free-flowing consciousness. Sure. You know, look at the big screen. Look at some ideas. What if you got, uh, well, stay away from superhero movies because we've done enough of that. Look at uh, Star Wars. Here you go. We're going to redo a really cool story. Yeah, but that's not Luke. That's not what Luke would do. You know. Yeah, but that's what we're going to do in this movie. But that, but that's not him. You know. And a lot of people now you're starting to understand what I'm talking about, where people are saying, "Wait a minute, you have to hold true to what has come before." Mm-hmm. Just because you have a good idea, and let's say they came up with a completely different non-Star Wars story that was what they've been doing with the new Star Wars movies. All right, that's a great story, but it has to fall in line with where that person has gone before on his journey. People are going to take turns in their life, and they're not going to be the same person at the end of their life as they were in their young man phase, let's say. They're going to change. But there has to be a reason why it is so dramatic, and it has to the punishment has to fit the crime, so to speak. And it just isn't happening that way. Someone's got a great idea, and they're going to bend time and space, including the past, to fit this mold rather than use that as your guide to project forward and then build something within that construct that is realistic. But you're having fans leave the theater, leave the show, leave the whatever, scratching their heads saying, they would never do that. Why would they do that? That's And there's source material that just is discarded because, well, we've got a better idea. I'll give you another example. The For the e- sake of continuity, it'd be nice to have some of this be considered. Well, yeah. yeah, but I mean, let's look at it the other way. They did The Equalizer with Denzel Washington. Now, The Equalizer was a TV show back in the 80s with Edward Woodward was the name of the guy. Former, basically former British secret agent. Basically with James Bond retired and went to li- and just went to live in a city like a normal guy, but he's got extraordinary skills. So he kind of puts them up, kind of like the A-team. If you can hire me, if you need help, I can help you. But the movie version of that was a lot much more like Taken. Oh, I have okay. these skills. I see something wrong. I'm going to step in. That's not really what the equalizer was. The equalizer was to kind of level the playing field with somebody that needed help. And kind of brought you in, kind of like the A-team. So some of it kind of follows, but a lot of it doesn't. Did it stray too far from the source material? I think yes. Not that it's a bad movie, but they put a stamp on it, Equalizer, which is not representative of what it really is. Question for you then. Do you think it's possible for a movie that is drawing from source material to be able to do so with a new kind of concept and a new idea and way of looking at it while at the same time staying close to the roots of what that that basic premise and that basic idea is because i think what and, and i'm not i'm not speaking for those who who come up with this or or the why behind it but i think what happens sometimes is they're looking to do something that is new and is fresh and then that's where they end up towing the line of what does this look like for continuity? Again, I'm for instance, I'm not speaking for those who who created the new Star Wars movies, but they they clearly did want to try to break the the lines of expectation of expectation and of what had been previously done while also trying to hold on to the threads of what had been done. But how far is that? Do you think that it goes to where 
you are trying to create something new, but you also want to try to hold firm to the roots and the continuity roots that make this what it is. I think there's a difference, obviously, between a sequel and a remake. If you're doing a Star Wars movie and there's a double trilogy that precedes this, you need to follow those threads. You can't have Luke Skywalker all of a sudden have wings and heat vision. Heat vision. Because he doesn't have that in any of the other movies. Why? Where did that come from? It has to follow uh, some sort of a thread. That's how natural organic evolution happens. See, that's why Princess Leia flying through space was a problem. For yeah, her, because she nev- Leia. she'd yeah. never expressed any involvement in the Force. Now she's Luke's sister, so she's the sister. The Force is strong with my family. You have it too. Okay, that's great. But you can't show this stuff off screen. Like all of a sudden we're finding out that the reason Emperor Palpatine is still around is because of the novel where he is himself a clone. You can't use that in a movie. Well, it's explained later in a book. No, no, no. If it's going to work for the construct of the movie, it has to work on screen. Either this movie or something that has come before it. You know, you can't just, well, if you really want to understand what happened here, you need to get those answers from the book and then the comic book series and the video. No, no, no. It has to exist here. So then you have a remake. Let me give you another example. Uh, we'll go into the horror realm. Why not? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, 1974. It is what it is. They remade it in 2003, but is it really a remake? No, it's a reconceptualization. It's got the same tone. It's got the same idea, similar characters, but it's not the same character. Character A goes through one, two, three, and that's the arc. In this one, you have character A, again, going through steps three, four, five. Well, that's not exactly the same thing that happened, but the spirit is there. And there's connective tissue, but maybe it goes in a different way, and it's a very different movie. To see both versions is to see two very different movies that are very similar. There's a lot of connective tissue, and I would argue that the remake, I think, is better than the original. And I and I know some people are in agreement with that. Others are not, and that's okay. That's one of the fun things about movie debates. But they certainly did not stray so far from the source material. They definitely kept the spirit alive. And where, in my opinion, the first one faltered, there's a point where the gal gets captured and she goes to the family and the original one. And for 20 minutes, it seems like, they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about how crazy these people are. Okay, I got the point. Let's move the plot forward. No, no, no. Right. We still got to show you how crazy. No, come on. Let's just go. The third, the, the remake, the reconceptualization does not fall into that trap. It keeps things moving along. And even when the parallel to that scene happens, at least something's happening. There's some kind of a story or plot. They've kind of fixed it, so to speak. It's a more modern version, and it's also got a good retro feel. It's It succeeds. So can you go into a different realm with a remake and stray from the source material enough that you're close enough and in orbit of it while still doing your own thing? Absolutely. But you need to be aware of what has come before. You need to honor it. You need to respect it. You need to stay within the orbit of that. You can't just go breaking off and go do your own thing and slap a name on it and expect it to work because fans are letting filmmakers know, no, that's not what this is. That needs to be let go. Okay. And I I like the example there, too, of what it looks like when it's done well. Yeah. Of reconceptualizing and sticking to what was done well originally. And that's that's the key if you're going to do a remake is can you make it a better version of of what came previously, although still its own version, but holding true to the things that made 
the original, the original. Well, and I, even I kind of made you a fan of the Mission Impossible movies, at least from three on. Yes. Because they hold the spirit of what the TV show shows have been. While even one the is, way that they are made yeah. holds true to that with actually doing the stunts, making it visually stunning and making it truly seem impossible. But then the thinking part of it. Well, we've said before, it's not about like James Bond who has the most bullets. It's about who can outsmart the other guy. And the first movie was kind of a con on itself. We've talked about this. The second one was a blow him up, shoot him up. Then J.J. Abrams got involved, and it really had the same connective tissue. It's a yeah. different type of product than what the show was. It's a lot more action-focused than what the show was. But uh, it, it's got connective tissue, and it's got the same idea of what the show was supposed to be to the point where that's a perfect example of you can kind of come up with your own new concept, but you can't stray so far from the original formula and call it Mission Impossible when it really kind of isn't, you know? Yeah. All right, I've got potentially two more. Give me. Do you Yeah. Do you have two more or do you have one? I'll stick with the let me see what I got on my list here I had to write down. I will I'll go with the I'll rip the band-aid. Okay. But you go ahead. All right, let's go for it then. First off, I'm I'm done with the idea that ambiguity is a bad thing. And I mean this on two different levels. The first is I'm done with the idea that ambiguity is a bad thing even in just explaining things within a movie. When you watch older movies, I'm talking movies in the 40s, in the 50s, even getting into the 60s. One of the great things about movies of that time is the way that you can say a lot by not saying a whole lot. Where it doesn't feel like in those movies we are being bashed over the head with the obvious. Or that we we are being bashed over the head with themes. That those things are interwoven within the dialogue and within the way the movie plays out. And you can see them sometimes very clearly, sometimes very subtly. But it's not like we are being hit over the head with those themes. I think one of the great disappointments of a lot of movies today is the way that they seem to hit those things over your head very intentionally today with the way the the dialogue goes. They cater to the lowest common denominator. Right. Like, we have to ensure that people get this. That was one of the great charms of, of classic movies that I watch is the way that those things are just threaded within the movie and they are threaded within the dialogue through good acting and through setting the scene really well good writing exactly the other part of ambiguity that i think is not a bad thing is with endings to movies and endings to a series as well i loved the ambiguity of the born ultimatum i thought that was a great way to end the born story they lived it not where he got where he jumped off the he jumped off the roof and then you you learn he's not been found you know that's how Nikki Parsons finds out he's not been found and then the music kicks up and he's swimming away and it's like okay the ambiguity of what happens with Jason Bourne that's fine here the end of inception that's is it fine. a dream is it not is the top spinning is it not oh, 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 oh. You don't really know. See, Christ- it's a point of debate. See, Christopher Nolan got it. With uh, you, yeah. you, you talked about the Dark Knight trilogy earlier. There was a beginning and there was an end there. There was a little bit of ambiguity on that end, too. And it was great. Yeah. It was like, hey, that's that's a good place to leave it. We don't need to consistently and constantly follow a thread of 
There are a few possible threads here. Think of, uh, and let's make a movie out of it. Think about this. Jack Sparrow at the end of Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. What's he doing? He's looking at the map for the Fountain of Youth. Maybe it would have been better to just leave him there at that point as he's sailing away. Maybe it would have been better rather than dragging out a couple more movies and dragging out a story. See, the leaving those threads, it feels like is just, I mean, that is catnip for some of these these production companies to go, oh boy, money, 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 money. Rather than thinking about the story itself, ambiguity is a good thing. So I'm done with the idea of let's use ambiguity as or unanswered questions as a means to drag out a story that maybe is done or they use ambiguity as an, as an excuse to try to cover every detail when maybe ambiguity helps to actually let the themes breathe. Yeah. You know, there's I like I'll give you another example are subtitles. Like Star Wars. Have there ever been a subtitle when Chewie speaks? No. But I'm sure somebody wanted him to have, well, I can't understand what the mon- what the big monkey is saying, you know. You don't need to. You can figure it out, what he and R2 are saying, when the whatever other character responds. You can, Oh, okay. Star Trek Four is about a probe that comes out of deep space looking for humpback whales that no longer it can receive transmissions from. The filmmakers, the producers, wanted there to be subtitles. Where are you? What? But there aren't any because the directors, the actual filmmakers, like, this is stupid. You'll figure it out. Plus, there's the mystery of what is this thing? Where is it coming from? We're not going to cater to the lowest common denominator. Uh You'll figure it out enough to get it. You don't need to know what it is. And at the end of the movie, when the the whales return and they're talking to the probe, there's no subtitles. You can only guess what exactly they're saying. But you kind of get the idea it's going to be okay. You know, and it's own what a probe talking to whales. Trust me, the movie it works much better when you, you don't, see it. You don't need to hold the audience's hands through this exactly. Stuff. You don't have to exactly trust that they're going to be able to follow the plot threads. And even when you get something very complicated, like another Nolan movie, Memento, I watched that movie for the very first time on disc and had to watch it immediately again afterward to pick up the stuff that I didn't grab the first time. And uh, and that was amazing. I re- I got it. And there's a way on that disc where you can watch it in sequence if you know how to do it. Uh, it'll show you the movie in sequence. But that's the funny thing about that movie. Part of it moves forward. Part of it moves backward. And they meet. So you're actually watching it up to the point of the linchpin in a way. So it's a very unusually put together movie, but it really works. Nothing he does is linear, really. You know, when you no, think about it. Yeah. No, and that's part of the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah. And the new one, time bending tenant coming up is going to be even more so. so. I think of I, I think of a line from The Simpsons sometimes when I think about this, where it, it, at the end of one of the episodes, Homer turns to Marge and he goes, "Is this a happy ending or a sad ending?" And Marge <laughs> goes, "It's an ending. That's enough. <laughs> Maybe that's enough. Sometimes, even if it's ambiguous." It's an ending. That's enough. Maybe we don't need to stretch it out. I don't mind if you have an ending that is ambiguous and that it's in cliffhanger form. Back to the Future Part 2. Clearly, it doesn't really end necessarily. It kind of does, but clearly not everything is resolved. But there's another one coming immediately. Matrix Re- Matrix Reloaded. Reloaded was the second one. Yes. Ends on a cliffhanger. But there's another one coming in six months. You know, it's not like... Cliffhangers but, and are And you knew in both cases there was another one coming. Rather than with some of these other movies where it is a never 
ending chain of we're going to stretch this story out, we're going to stretch this out. Boy, I am really setting up my last one in a big way here. Yeah. Multiple times here during this episode. Yeah, you know that it's coming. You know that you know now that Darth Vader has been revealed as Luke's father. Is it true? Is he lying? Find out on the next one. No, and Hans frozen. Find out on the next one. No, that was a, there's a there's a precedent for that in movies called the cliffhanger. Yes. You know, you got to go see the next one, and it's not that they're just setting you up. They know where they're going. Right. They know where they're going. That's the key. Sometimes sometimes, sometimes with these endings where they, they leave these threads, they don't know where they're going next. And then it's, okay, let's come up with a storyboard yeah. here. Let's come up with something. And, but then, and then that's where the disconnect happens is you haven't planned in advance. And then these threads get left behind. Yeah, I, and I hate going back to horror territory. I'll give you a great example. Of, a great example of what we're talking about: Halloween Five. Who's the Man in Black? Who was, was, they had even the producers at the time when they were filming it had no idea who he was going to turn out to be. So now the next movie comes, they had to figure it out. It just they did not know where they were going. They just knew that four did well. Let's rush five in. Let's come up with some interesting things. What's it going to lead to? We don't know. We're just going to go. You've you've got to at least when you're coming up with these concepts have the beginning yeah. and the end, and then work on filling in the middle and really work on filling in the middle. But you've got to know what your end point is. Sometimes there's a chance where there's good examples of where it does end up well when you don't know where you're going you just know you're going somewhere and most of the time that's the exception not the rule you know who doesn't know where his end point is except if it involves an explosion michael bay i was about to say you're gonna go michael bay aren't you yeah i i was (laughs) all right dave go ahead what's your next one it's the band-aid you're you're gonna rip it off Uh, might as well wait didn't you have another one uh yeah but we kind of we kind of double crossed on that one okay. I guess so we're it kind of got covered in its own way in a different way but it close enough I don't all right to, go not for to it be too redundant I I'm struggling with this one though because you you want it but you're very concerned about where it's going to go and how it's going to get there and if it's going to get there the man is 77 years old and talking to a lot of trades they're just getting ready to start filming on the 5th Indiana Jones movie Harrison Ford at 77 and there's other things too you know George, it was, Indiana Jones has always been the son of three fathers you have Harrison Ford who does the role of Indiana Jones but he's always been involved in not writing the story but I don't want to do I don't like this story I don't want to do it you know so he could kind of overrule the other two fathers, which is George Lucas, who was the producer and a lot of times came up with the general storyline. And then Steven Spielberg, who's directed them all, who certainly fleshes things out. Well, George Lucas had his own trajectory. In the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I think, and a lot of fans also think, that a lot of the reasons it went wrong was because of him. Spielberg, you kind of understand, is probably stepping in front to take some of the shot. And, oh, the idea of the fridge was my idea. I don't know if that was or it wasn't, but it just wasn't good. Swinging from the vines and all the gophers and trying to be cute. And it just, that's George Lucasisms because you see it in Star Wars. Yes. And Spielberg had nothing to do with Star Wars. So you, you're pretty sure you know who had something to do with that. Harrison Ford, when they did Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, was in his mid 60s. He lost a little bit, but he didn't lose it. He could still go. That was 12 years ago. And actually, they filmed it 13 years ago and it came out in 2008. So they're about to start filming the fifth one. He's 77. Harrison Ford, I'm not saying he shouldn't do it. I'm just, I'm very wary. This is what I don't want. You don't want to go on too long. You don't want it to go too far. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is not a beloved Indiana Jones movie. 
So is this going to go down that path even further and hurt the legacy and hurt the legacy of Harrison Ford's career? I don't want that. Spielberg evidently is not going to be directing this one either, which is another thing to think about. Um, James Mangold, they're talking about, could do this. I think that's interesting. Spielberg, they're describing, would be a hands-on producer, so it's not like he wouldn't be there. Harrison Ford clearly is going to do it, but can he do it? That's the question. Here's what I really, really don't want. Not only do I not want to have Indiana Jones 5, and and it just doesn't work. I also don't want to hear over the next few months, production on the new Harrison Ford movie is shutting down because so the injury so the injury can heal and he can recover. The injured Harrison Ford uh, once again has re-injured himself trying to make studios trying to figure out how they can retool this adventure to work around the limitations of star Harrison Ford who's twice been injured in the swinging over the vine or whatever. Production is shutting down because they don't know if they can make this happen. The movie's been canceled. Or worse yet, the movie comes out and it just does not anywhere close live up to what we want it to be. I want to see 15 Indiana Jones movies, but they have to be a certain thing. And I get it that Harrison Ford is not 35 anymore, nor do we expect him to be. I get it. But you need to have somebody in the role. It's a physically taxing character. Absolutely. But Harrison Ford had said one point, I'm not an action star. I'm an actor who has done a lot of roles, Indiana Jones, Jack Ryan, Han Solo, where there's a lot of action. And he's right. Some of the best moments in an Indiana Jones movie is the story, and it's not when he's you know hanging underneath a truck or whatever. But you need to be able to hang under a truck you know, to do that. That's, and believably so. That's where it would be nice if there was some way that they could make it a passing of the whip and of the fedora kind of but that's movie. not what this one is going to be no they've kind of hinted at it before with shia labeouf in kingdom of the crystal skull and at the end of the movie he's going to pick up the fedora but indy swipes it back nope not quite yet you know kind of he's not going to do it yet and the talk is that that's not going to happen in this movie either even to the point where they said indy is not going to die at the end of this movie, which, okay, that's great. But then again, that kind of takes you out of the cliffhangers when he is hanging on the edge of the cliff. Might this be it for our hero? No, because they said he's not going to die. So it kind of, you know, there's a scene in the trailer I saw that I haven't seen in the movie yet, so I know it's still coming, and it featured him, so you know he's going to live through this, you know. Um, I would love to see an idea where you don't get rid of Harrison Ford because he could certainly do this. But think about like the beginning of The Last Crusade. You have River Phoenix as young Indiana Jones going on his own mission only to be completed decades later by Harrison Ford to finally get that cross of Coronado. Could they find a way where it's two different storylines that are same storyline, two different eras that are kind of threaded together where you've got the action of a younger here's a younger indiana jones or maybe where he's reflecting back on on a previous Something. time so harrison ford could stay involved with it Some, well and they had done that with the young indiana jones chronicles where you had a bearded harrison ford uh remembering back and it was um oh what was the actor's name that did young indiana jones i'm having a brain fart anyway there's ways to do it but when my grandpa was 77, there's no way I could imagine it. He was a physical guy, swinging around and punching around. and At some point, you can't. Didn't he break his leg going into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon during the production of The Force Awakens? They had to reschedule the production around his broken leg. And I think it was from some cockpit door slammed on him, so I'm assuming it's the Millennium Falcon. So this is a much more physical role than Han Solo, because you don't have the luxury of sitting at the cockpit controls of the Millennium Falcon. you got to 
I would assume this movie would be set in the 60s with the Russians, since you can't have him with the Nazis anymore because he's too old. You kind of work that into the, the, the role. I really want to see this movie, and I want to see it done well, but... 77 years old and you're going to be swinging over alligators you got to be i mean and you have to do it convincingly right so if it becomes cgi crazy you know it's not working and so eh, one of the best things about those original movies was because generally what you were seeing was real even if it wasn't harrison ford under the truck it was somebody under the truck and it was done convincingly enough that you could plausibly believe that could be harrison ford i don't know if that's a stunt double or not now I don't think so. You have to be realistic, even if it is a stunt double. Yeah, but Her- Indiana Jones in the movie, like Harrison Ford in real life, is 77. Could a 77-year-old man do what I just saw? Or is that a 30-year-old man with white hair dye doing things that a 77-year-old man, A, cannot do and B, has no business doing? You know what I mean? It's not about ageism. I'd love to see Jerry Rice play football forever, but there comes a point you just can't. There, At least not well. And there comes a point... You can't punch the Russians as the, well as you used to. The effectiveness. Yeah. yeah. The effectiveness of it is impacted then. That too. I, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm i torn. I want this to work. I really do. I think I don't there are wanna... ways that it can work, but they would involve him having to adapt and change but that's the way not, that he would do it. That's what, that's not what this is going to be. This right. is, from all in, from all indications, this is going to be a straightforward, no gimmicks, okay. Indiana Jones movie. I, 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 I don't know. Find a way to hand it off. Yeah. That's, that's what it seems so it this, to be. Th- I know this is his favorite role of all roles, and I have a suspicion that when Lucasfilm was bought by Disney, hey, Harrison, we're going to do another Star Wars movie. We really want you to come back as Han Solo. Just one more. We'll kill you off at the end. But if you do it, you'll do another Indiana Jones movie. Oh, and that was the catnip. I, I, you know, and he had the cameo in the for, in this in the Rise of Skywalker. I get it. Um, the seal the deal. Let's make this movie happen. Let's get Indiana Jones in gear. I'll do the cameo if you get this going really soon. And it seems like that's the case. But I, uh... yeah, I know. It, I, know, I don't know how that, to finish that. That's thought. a painful one. Yeah. I, I think there are good solutions to it, but they would be solutions that he would probably not want to do and that it sounds like this movie is not going to be. So all we can do right now is sit and wait. That's the difficult thing. Is we, we All we can do is sit and wait because this this sounds like it's going to be an inevitability and it's like here's this where, shouldn't be happening. Here's where we take the famous Dave's hard left turn. If you really want to do some deep digging about a somewhat obscure movie from the early 2000s that I think could be an interesting way to approach this Indiana Jones movie, Bubba Hotep. You know who Bruce Campbell is? Yes. So he plays, what if Elvis didn't really die? Elvis really lives. And now he's an old wrinkled man living in a retirement home. And a mummy breaks loose. You're like, wait, what? But it was funny because here's this. I, I know you. I mean, you make the same look everybody looks, and I'm not saying it's an awesome movie, but it's actually got some good things to it. Well, Bruce Campbell stuff usually goes that route. Don't you think? Harrison although Ford I'm also could, used to him being in Burn Notice. Could but. you imagine Indiana Jones, an old withered man, but he still has the spirit? Maybe the body isn't willing. It's not the miles. It's not the years. It's the mileage, right? So here's a broken down Indiana Jones that still has the spirit, but the body's not living up, and now something's up. And so he's using his resources as best he can. And Indy's a very resourceful guy to fight the forces of whatever it is. Baba Hotep. Doesn't have to be a mummy or a monster, but it worked. 
And it, uh, yeah, this go. If you really want to go and do your deep homework, you're going to look at it and say this is bizarre, but it's kind of entertaining. And Bubba Hotep is something like that might be a fun way to approach this that could work. I like watching you trying to come up with best case scenarios. See, I'm not. Ju- I'm this not just is... complaining. I'm no. offering a solution. You are. I'm concerned that this you could are. be. Here's something we might be able to do to make it work. Maybe. Maybe not. All right, I've got one more. Hit me to get into really quick. <laughs> Enough. Fast and Furious movies. Enough. It is time to end this series. It was long ago time to end this series. I think it should have ended with Paul Walker's last movie. Yeah. I think that could, that could have been the time for them to say, let's seal this off and say goodbye. But Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel continues to just pour Corona into the NOS of those cars and say, let's soldier forward and... And let's just put family on this. Even though there has been cast in fighting, there's been a split in terms of the movies created with what they did with Hobbs and Shaw, which I do. I have no idea why they would split that off and do do a movie concept like that. Um, with the exception of it's The Rock and Jason Statham, and that's the that is that has got to be the only reason. Shaw Deckard Shaw, the character that was played by Jason Statham. Killed a beloved character, and actually, it now we find out did not kill him. But it all, for for all intents and purposes, killed a beloved character within the series, and he gets his own sh- his own movie. He gets his own show. What in the world? Anyway, enough. What in tarnation? Enough with the over the top stunts that are ridiculous. They dragged a they dragged a safe through. Brazil like that was kind of cool dragging a safe through Rio de Janeiro in fast five all right that worked out pretty well that was that was good they were reaching their peak at around that time fast five fast six I know we've talked about this before they of this is the ninth one right that's coming out this summer fast nine yes this is number nine this is this is insane remember they actually used to race cars in this series, we've talked about that before too. They used to race cars in this series. That's you. That used to be what this was about. Now it is a combination of heist and government and oh, I it, it's just it, it's it, strayed a little far from its source material. Has it, it has strayed very far from its source material material, and it's gone into the realm of the fantasy and the fantastical, like. What are they doing with some of these stunts with these cars and some of the ridiculous things that they come up with? It's, let's see how insane this can get. And and that includes with some of the concepts within the story as well. Like, are you kidding me? People who seem like they have died and now they are coming back. How in the world is Han alive? Unless that was some, like some dream scenario that we are seeing here. Or maybe, maybe Dom Toretto has finally gone delusional or something. I don't know. But... Enough already. Let's let's seal this off. Let's say goodbye. I, I think it would have been a poignant way to say goodbye with the final movie that Paul Walker was in because that seemed like it could be the time to do it, and that was a pretty good movie. Instead, they've decided, no, we want more. We want to keep on going with this. Obviously, Vin Diesel loves doing these movies. I mean, that's a big reason why that whole bust-up happened with The Rock is he loves doing these movies. There's family. I don't want you doing one without me. Corona's. And all of that, and all of that stuff. But it's time to say goodbye because this is just—it's it, just dragging on and on, and it's become almost—it—it's it, become a property that's become too big and bloated for itself. There's an expression in a lot of things called "jumping the shark," 
<laughs> and it gets its origins from an episode of Happy Days where they go on vacation to California or Hawaii or wherever it was, and the Fonz is water skiing, and he, oh, up ahead, that's a fin. He jumped over a shark. Well, at that moment, the ratings for the show dropped, and they never really recovered. <laughs> so Jump the Shark was something that happened in that one episode that is now used to apply to a moment where things just aren't the same after the moment than leading up to the moment. The Fast and Furious movies Jump the Shark moment in my book, well, they've had a couple. Um, just the latest one here was Bringing Han back some way, somehow. The the Probably the first big one for me was when Dom and Letty jump and like they they meet they midair grab each other in a center median between a highway and somehow they get out of it and I was like, what am I watching right now? What is this? So that's when I was like, okay, they're starting to stretch this out a little bit too much. I think we've got a couple of synonyms that go with jump the shark. Back to Indiana Jones, nuke the fridge came up for a while. Now this new Fast and Furious, it's already in the trailer, where somehow they snag like a noose around one of the tires. Oh, my word. And this car swings across a valley that's similar to the Grand Canyon. I have a feeling that the new expression, which means jump the shark, is going to be swing the canyon or something like that. Swing the Camaro or whatever it is. That'll be the new phrase of jump the shark. All right, this has gone just a little too far, a little deep, and that might be the unrecoverable moment. Jump the shark. Unrecoverable Nuke moment. Nuke the fridge. Yeah. Swing the car. Any more from you really quick? No, no, no. That's, you know, then it becomes, you know, your Uncle Dave comes over to the house and won't shut up. You know, we've, we're coming to that point. I don't want to jump the shark. No. <laughs> Let's not jump the shark with this this. Let's episode. wet the microphone. This was a good idea, though. You you came up with this concept, and when you when you talked about this the other day, I was I was all over it. I was like, yes, that's a great idea, because sometimes these are the things that, that a lot of people think, but sometimes it's the things that need to be said of, what do we just need to be done with? Because isn't that just the constant thing with these movies, Dave, is... They look at what can be a cash cow rather than thinking what's good for the good of the story, for the good of the concept. Maybe it is shutting down a particular storyline or saying goodbye to it. Maybe it is we need to learn how to repackage this better. It It's sometimes the tough things that movies need to do and the creators of those movies need to do but aren't willing to to do it we've said before if you're going to make a movie if you're going to start a franchise or whatever the case you need to be able to answer the question why why are we doing this so we're going to do another batman movie all right okay why why are we doing another batman movie there's been one every three years for the last what 30 years should batman take a break some things never will i think there will always be a james bond movie around the corner i think there's always going to be another come around of batman they've kind of reached a different status Indiana Jones, are they ever going to do a sixth one where it will be somebody that's not Harrison Ford doing the role? Okay, but even then, even after my little rant, why? Why are we doing another Indiana Jones that does not have Harrison Ford or Spielberg? Nobody's involved. Why are we doing it? If you can't answer that question, then stop right there. And kind of what we've done here is bring up questions where I don't know if there's a good answer to the why. These are things that maybe you shouldn't even need to ask the question. I think it's pretty obvious. No, no, no. Let it sit. Let it end. Time to let it go. At least for a while. You would hope anyway. Yeah. You know. Maybe it's time for us to say goodbye for this episode then. Yeah. So. Time to let it move. Just, just let it go. Let the past. There, there will be another show. Let it go. Let the past die, as Kylo Ren once said. No, we can do better than that, because that didn't work so well for the Star Wars franchise, did it? <laughs> 
Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just down from the airport. $5 movie nights on Tuesdays, college night on Thursdays as well. So bring your ID along if you'd like to go on college night and get a discount there as well. So thanks for joining us once again. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies. <laughs>